welcome to the Top Order Podcast. As we head into the month of September, we're going to talk all things England, South Africa, the bounce back ability of the England team. We'll talk the BBL draft, some conjecture there. Colin de Gronholm, is he even allowed to play? Bizarre scenes. Australia, Zimbabwe, New Zealand squad for the Aussie One Day Internationals and a New Zealand A Tour. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, we don't like a lot of self-praise on this podcast, but I think we've got to give ourselves uh, wraps for a lot of our comments last week around uh, the England-South Africa series. Particular credit um, to Raj around your uh, comments on South Africa's batting. But let's talk a little bit about this second test match, Old Trafford. Uh, a toss which probably could have gone either way. Dean Elgar deciding to play two spinners in uh, Maharaj and Harma, um, and then has a yeah has a bat on the on the first day um, of the Test match. Probably if he kind of goes back, he might rethink that decision um, at the toss. But that aside, what do we think of this of this Test match? Well, I think I, I mean I think we sort of have to throw it back to to you or to Raj because yeah, absolute. You know, we could we could notice the the pep in your uh, intro there was a, a lot a lot more than than last time. But I think we have to give both of you credit, really, in the sense that uh, you know we we talked about is you know England was always going there was always going to be a time for England where their tactics or or even not even their tactics but. They were going to lose a game. Like every team loses at some stage, but the way they've bounced back so emphatically against a side that we all decided that was a decent side, and I know you know we still had question marks about their batting, but they they dominated that game. And and really, as soon as folks and Stokes started putting those runs together, there was never really any question that England were gonna were gonna win that test. And you know they did it what inside three days again. I mean, it kind of would be nice if we could get a, a you know maybe even to the fourth day. At least those New Zealand games were kind of getting to the the fourth day. But yeah, I mean, Raj, maybe you want to want to uh, praise yourself about South Africa's batting. Yeah, sure. Well done, Raj. Um, <laughs> I, I I said last week that I don't sort of trust their batting, and uh, they they did pretty much fall apart in that, in that <laughs> first first innings and, and also in the second innings they didn't quite put it together either. They have the makings of a really good batting side but mm. the consistency is just not there at the moment which is what we saw there uh, in this test match. But on the flip side I want to talk a little bit about um, England's batting. England's lower order batting, uh, top order, a little bit of a hiccup but the, the lower order looked good again. You know, young Johnny Bairstow scoring almost 50, and then Stokes and, and folks with 100 runs each. I think that uh, is a testament to the way they're playing their cricket at the moment, the style they're playing, the um, confidence that they're playing with. Uh, yeah, I, I was really, uh, really happy with that performance. And I, and I think I would just, I mean, we were touching on it just on, off air before, uh, the it, it, things can change so quickly in cricket. I mean, the, the folks... The folks given out, uh, you know, against Maharaj LBW. I, I I can't remember how many they were in front by then, but it wasn't many. Very, you know, in I would say under twenty. If, you know, again, fact haven't checked my facts again. Was watching it live. That he gets he reviews the decision. Everyone in the commentary box at that time was thinking this is probably out. Like it's probably going to be an umpire's call. Turns out it pitched outside a fraction outside leg. 
and then they go on and put on whatever they put on to to put the game out of reach. And you know, you you think about the how think how quickly things can change at that point. And folks, I mean, you know, so many times it seems seems like the folks conversation. Binksy, you can probably comment more here, but seems like he has a couple of failures and everyone in England goes, oh, well, you know, we need a better batter in here. And, uh, you know, we've got folks, is, even though folks might be the best keeper we have in the country, we can't have him here. But then, you know, he puts 100 on here. He scored he scored runs in the past, some important runs, you know, not, not that long ago. But, I mean, surely he's going to be in this side for a long time. It feels like he's quite an important cog, if you ask me. Yes, it looks certainly the way that the, the staff talk about him, uh, Brendan McCullum, Ben Stokes, you know, often refer to how much confidence he gives to the bowling unit with his keeping. Um, you know, he, he does look pretty pretty tidy as a keeper. Um, all the you know all the time he saves runs when he's standing back with you know athleticism. When he's standing up, he doesn't miss a, a hell of a lot. Um, his chat is probably not. <laughs> Um, not in the top echelons, uh, sort of above Tim Payne and below uh, Mark Boucher, certainly in terms of his banter. I, I think the biggest thing for me, though, is just not to get too carried away about this. A little bit like, hopefully, I was last week. Um, you know, there was calls for, you know, th- throw the blueprint out. It's all wrong. Um, not a game to be an opening batsman in um, this one. If you look, it was a real new ball uh, wicket open as average 15 between them. Um, Zach Crawley, the, the, them for Crawley. Yeah, the high point 38 or something like that. And um, one of the big things I will pick up on with the Ben Folks comments though, is one of the criticisms has been, he hasn't had to really play against a solid pace attack. And um, certainly in the West Indies, there was sort of rumors about that, but with no disrespect to the likes of Kamara Roach, he's no 94 mile an hour on Rick Norkia um, or Rabada. Um, he showed, I think, that he could play that pace, particularly with the, against the second new ball, got a couple of really good pull shots away. But I think it was the way he played the spin which really got his innings going. Um, he, he was pretty attacking use of his feet against both Maharaj and um, and Harmer. So look, I just think it's that balanced view coming off the back of this. You know, a really good batting performance. Um, there were, I think, got 200 runs at the point that that um, decision was upheld. So, um, you know, I still think they'd have won the game from there. But, you know, these are the types of side indoor moments that we that we talk about. A good game. Um, I think you've got to give big up as well to Jimmy Anderson and Ollie Robinson back in the side as well. Um, I thought Ollie Robinson was so unlucky in that first innings. He, he could have bowled a lot worse than taken seven for, and I think ended up with one for in that first innings. And at, at one point, you know, I think one of the players said after the game, it's one of the best non-fers I've ever seen <laughs> up until the, uh, the latter part of that inning. So look, really, really pleased with the bounce back. The Oval is the next test match in a week or so's time. It'll be a flat wicket. Teams have not gone in there always with a spinner this year um, in the county championship. So be interesting to see whether South Africa um, ditch the two spinner attack and go to a no spinner um, attack. Yeah, so really want to see what happens um, there. I, I got my prediction right on the team last time. So I'm going to say that England are going to go in with Potts and Robinson and leave Leach out for the test match. So um, there's my early call. Um, yeah, got to be bold um, on this podcast. But yeah, really pleased. Well, that's disappointing because my next uh, comment was going to be I like that 
Uh, they've gone back to sort of standard roles there with picking a keeper who can bat and picking a spin bowler to do a job. And that in the second test, Jack Reacher's Jack Reacher, Jack Reacher. <laughs> Jack Leach's role was to to hold up an end, and he did it really well. First innings got a got a pole, but he he held up an, an end from uh, at an economy rate of one point something yeah. uh, for twenty three overs, and then the second innings, which allowed the other bowlers to to be a bit fresher. Yeah, look, I still think you'll play at the over. I just like a bowl. Pretty- It is confusing, the South Africa. I I mean, look, to be fair to them, it did spin. And, you know, Harmer and Maharaj got prodigious spin, you know, later on in that test match. Well, later on in the game. Too many full tosses from Harmer? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think that go, kind of goes without saying. I, he bowled. I mean, look, I, I don't see him bowling regularly in county cricket, but obviously he's dominated at that level for for a number of years, and I, I guess earned his spot. I'm I'm not kind of disputing that. I, I would say he's he's not a classical beautiful off spinner to watch, but he can certainly spin the ball and and put uh, batters in in difficult situations. But yeah, you're right. He didn't. He didn't. He, I, I would sure that he, when he looks back at those spells, he didn't create enough pressure. And you just mentioned it there with Leach. Leach Bob deliveries that built pressure on the batters, and they had to do stuff to actually combat him and score. Whereas Harmer was just giving away free runs. And you know, it, it's sort of staggering to me that you would win a Test match so well and have all the balance that I guess we talked about last week in the attack and, you know, having that left armour and Janssen and even the batting uh, that he brings and stuff. And then, you, I don't know, I mean, look, we, we talked about Elgar with, uh, in New Zealand and even that second test when they got absolutely spanked and he, he said, won the toss and batted first and it, and it paid off for him. So, you know, I can kind of see what uh, what he's thinking there, but... Yeah, it was it was a real confusing one when I when I when when I saw that list, it was yeah bizarre. I think the really pleasing point for me over the course of this test match for England is the number here one forty seven for five, and England then go on to make four hundred and ninety one. The emerging trend in modern test cricket is that it is an eleven batter game. It is not just top seven and then the the bowlers just sort of you know waft the willow and, and don't really contribute. I mean, if you have a look, Broad twenty one, Robinson seventeen, Leach eleven don't look like big numbers, but they were actually able to put together big partnerships with folks to get them from what were they when uh, Stokes was yeah, dismissed ninety five with the tail, which yeah. England haven't done in recent times very well. So, so a fantastic performance from them. Look, it's an eleven man game, obviously now in Test Cricket and in all formats. So I was really particularly pleased to see those lower order contributions for England. It has been a bit of an Achilles heel for a while and and is a really pleasing sort of outcome from this game for them. I I think the other factor is the cricket ball as well. So these batch of Dukes balls, if you watch enough of it, they're trying to get the ball changed every five minutes Mm -hmm. because they go in soft. Um, And the stats are saying that you're scoring your runs between, I think, overs... Uh, 30 and 80 because it literally is almost impossible to take a wicket yep. um, during that period with these uh, with these cricket balls. So um, that's an, another another factor as well. Lippy, you got some questions, I think, around Stokes. Well, I mean, I, I think it's well to start with. It's it's uh, feels a bit unjust that we've got this far into the into the chat and haven't mentioned him because I mean. You're talking about key players in this game. He was with bat and ball, you know, incredibly, incredibly impactful. But it sort of got me thinking of, um, you know, I suppose we've just seen this documentary coming out about Stokes and all of this stuff. It, and, you know, obviously we're doing the Hall of Fame and it, it got me thinking bigger picture with Stokes. I know it's still very early in his career, but I, I sort of think to myself, where, where do I 
where do I put Stokes and, and how do we kind of think about Stokes? And I, and I don't really know where I sit because when I think about him, I think the, the thing I'm trying to wrestle with, I suppose, is you look at his uh, figures and you go, okay, well, his bowling average is 31. That's not spectacular. You look at his batting average, you think 36. That's not even really that spectacular either for someone who I actually think has a lot more, lot more talent than that. And, and I would say should be averaging 40. Maybe that's being a bit harsh. But then you think about it on an all-rounder perspective, and that's the same plus-minus as both of them. It's the same plus-minus as Hadley. It's the same, you know, as as all those great all-rounders that we we talk about. And yeah, it's really confusing to me. Is he kind of that occasional match winner like an Andrew Flintoff, who is someone who I think probably had so many big moments in cricket, but maybe never kind of lived up to their potential. I think they're actually quite different players. I would say that Stokes is a, a batting all-rounder, whereas Flintoff bowling all-rounder. You know, we don't we don't need to get into all of that. But both of them is kind of seen as this pinnacle all-rounder in English cricket. Do we think Stokes is going to get there? And, you know, whenever he decides to pull up stumps, I mean, we're, you know, we're doing the Hall of Fame. There's a number of uh, players in there that are, that are current players, and we and we never even mentioned Stokes when we talked about players who were unlucky to miss out. So that's the the top hundred, and you know, should we have? Look, I don't know. You'd have to ask Baldy's uh, <laughs> algorithm for that. In all honesty, I don't think he's in that conversation purely based on the stats that he's you know he's put up through the course of his career. As you said, not remarkable with either bat or ball, but you kind of put the two together and uh, certainly an impactful player. I, I think he'd be honest and say that he's a better player than a batting average of 36 in Test cricket. You know, mm. top scorer, 258. I think he's got 12 or 1300s. Um, and he's not just got the kind of hundreds that someone like a Flintoff got, which was more often than not counter-attacking, giving it a bit of a whack, you know, with some license. Stokes has played some proper test match innings. And um, if I go back, you know, that 258 against South Africa, really good knock. The 100 he got against Australia at Headingley in 2019, I... I don't think there's going to be too many better fourth innings innings um, as a batter than that, to, you know, to take your team leading 70 with the last wicket and, and absolutely boss a game. So he's, he's a better batsman than those stats, but the stats are what the, the stats are. I think the biggest thing for me in this game particularly was the way that he led the side um, he knew that the, it was a new ball wicket. He knew that it was really, really important that um, Ollie Robinson and James Anderson were fresh when that second new ball came around. He probably had in the back of his mind, Robinson had backed up. And actually, um, I think the stat in the first innings was his spells. Um, he bowled his three quickest spells in test cricket in that first uh, in that first inning. So he's obviously gone and done the conditioning work, but that might have been in, 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 in the back of his mind. He bowled a 14-over spell um, to get England to that second new ball, unchanged from, from one end. So just showed um, the leadership qualities. And um, for me, the fact that he's done that the day before, he could barely walk on his knee. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd got 100, and then the next day he bowls a 14-over spell. That's the kind of guy... Um, that you want to follow into into battle as a leader, isn't it? So that the impact that he brings from the other stuff, um, his fielding as well, is probably what makes the sum of those parts probably greater than the numbers that are written down on the page. Oh, look, your Brooklyn argument from me, Binksy. I just did a little bit of analysis about 12 months ago when we started this Hall of Fame project, and I've got 
Stokes' stats here from way back 12 months ago. Average 35.8 with the bat and over 32 with the ball. So in both realms, he's on the improve. And if you have a look at his international career, what he's what almost 10 years into his international career now. For most cricketers, you are who you are 10 years into into your career. You know, you kind of, your numbers are who you say you are. But I don't think that's true with Ben Stokes. I think there's more improvement left in him. There's more big moments left in his career for sure. I think we're going to see a guy who maybe ends up averaging 36 and 31 over the course of his career. Once he kind of comes back at the end of his career, his numbers might come down a bit. But I think we're, we're going to see him go up before he comes down. And I think he, he could he could touch 40, averaging, averaging you know, with the bat. And that would be pretty elite in terms of, uh, of all-rounders who can also average under 32 with the ball. Well, boys, I think it's probably about time to, to wrap up uh, the England-South uh, Africa series as it stands uh, two tests in. Certainly, if I were in charge of food and beverage at the Oval, I wouldn't be ordering too much for the fourth day because, um, yeah, these test matches haven't really... Um, gone the distance two and a half days and yeah kind of three uh three days or so but um, does there need to be an investigation into that uh, when it was happening in india it needed to be investigated yeah i think the quality of the wickets was an issue there wasn't it um you know you play so this on, is just a quality of the players this is just a quality oh, of the right. south african batting yeah absolutely and um, <laughs> but look jokes aside i think the pitch will be good at the oval it you know it's typically pretty flat there so yeah i, I think we will see hopefully a game of cricket that goes um, yeah, at least into the fourth innings uh, for, for the paying um, public. Guys, we're going to move on. I've got to go to the BBL draft first. Um, Mark Howard wandering around talking to the players as uh, I think it's a Melbourne Renegades trying a little Schneider signing of Rashid Khan that um, didn't go particularly well uh, with Jason Gillespie, who... Um, right to match I think is the terminology for the Adelaide yeah, right retained to retain. immediately by Jason Gillespie by Dizzy Gillespie but the biggest talking point from a New Zealand perspective has got to be either some excellent subterfuge or a real lack of awareness of the rules from Colin de Grandhomme he's put himself up for the for the auction and there's conjecture around whether he should have been in it as a New Zealand contracted player Oh look, uh, it's it's a puzzling one. I mean, we're recording this on a, a Monday night, and uh, there's still sort of been no real clarification. When you know, when we're gone to air here, uh, New Zealand Cricket's come out t- today and said that they didn't know that Colin de Grandholm was uh, you know going to be in the draft. That uh, I think when they uh, when the list of names were announced last Sunday, his name wasn't on there. It sounds like that was kind of because he. Had, had put his name down, but he hadn't filed his paperwork. Who, who knows, all these technicalities. But it, it's it's just so confusing because, uh, you know, New Zealand Cricket have come out and said, you know, we're gonna, we'll be working with Colin to try and, you know, find the best outcome. But when I was, you know, I just happened to kind of stumble on uh, Crick Info around the time that the draft started. It wasn't, uh, I have to say, it was not on my radar to any, to any level to be uh, watching the BBL draft. But... It felt like Colin de Gronholm was just announcing his retirement. It was just like, what, what is going on here? Because, I mean, three questions. Like, what, you know, he must have known that New Zealand, you can't, you no, know, no New Zealand cricketers have been allowed to go into the BBL in the past. They've never been, what, what is it, the NOC cl- uh, thing that they're allowed? Yeah. They're, oh, has. Okay, yeah, well, well, Colin Monroe's done it, in the, you know, because uh, and, and has sort of lost his contract because he's chosen uh, to go and play international cricket elsewhere. T- Trent Bolt has just stood down and is now, you know, putting himself up. Nisham didn't get his contract going, going all of those things. It's 
Condegron must have known that this was not, it was going to be cause an issue. You know, we try and protect the Super Smash that we have here. If they open it up for, you know, for any New Zealand players to go, suddenly all of them will put their hands up and, and go to the BBL because there's more money and all that kind of stuff. But even if he didn't know, surely his management knew that this wasn't able to happen. Yeah, I take a, a slightly different tack, which is the Adelaide strikers, teams do so much due diligence now around who they're going to scout and who they're going to uh, potentially draft. They'll have probably run a simulation of the draft, um, you know, in the lead up and on what happens if Rashid Khan doesn't go and what happens if Liam Livingston is suddenly available and all those kind of factors. So I can't think that they've not at least said to Colin de Gronholm, mate, you have had a conversation with NZ Cricket, haven't you? And his response must have been, no, I'm not going to, but this is what I'm going to do. So I, I can't believe that they haven't done the level of due diligence to get whatever guarantees they need, unless they've gone, do you know what we're going to take a little bit of a punt because we think he's going to add to our franchise we'll pick someone else up if we need to from the list of draft players if it all turns to custard and we're comfortable with that but I can't think that that would have been the case of a professional sports franchise that they've not done that level of due diligence to understand the ramifications of that well that and that's what's so bizarre right so that that's question number one what you know why why did did that even happen how how has this kind of got to this point second question is like what's going to happen now? And I, because like I just said, I think they can't really let him play because if if New Zealand cricket says, well, okay, Colin, you can go. I mean, and I can kind of see the circumstances where you would say in your current situation where you've been injured for a lot, you know, you got the heel injury when you were playing Test cricket. Around that time, New Zealand, the international side is going to be going to Pakistan. I think it's very unlikely that he would go there as an and well. He might go in the squad, in the test squad, but it's very unlikely he would play, especially with the emergence of Bracewell and kind of, you know, whatever you think of Bracewell, it seems like he's put himself in the mix to be the him, you know, as our sort of number seven all-rounder, particularly in subcontinent conditions. You could say, okay, well, you're, you know, you're coming back from injury. It actually probably would be good for you to go over there and, and you know, make a bit of money and, and do all of that. But as soon as they do that, that everyone's going to want to go to all these tournaments. Everyone's going to go, well, I could get a huge amount of money if I go to this UAE tournament. And so I, I just can't see how they can do that. And if that's the case, is he going, well, I'm like that, you know, I'm 36, 37 now. I don't know that I'm going to play for New Zealand again because of all these other players that we've just announced. We've built up all this depth recent times. Yeah. Has he gone? Okay. Well, I've, I've seen the writing on the wall and I'm, my body's breaking down. I have, I retired. And then the third question is why have they even picked him? Because honestly, I don't understand. He's that should have been question one and the podcast would have been a lot shorter. I don't understand. I, I have no idea. I mean, he performed okay for for Northern in the Super Smash last year. Yeah. He's performed very, you know, he's, he's really struggled, I think, in recent times for New Zealand. Hasn't, you know, isn't, I think, in the, anywhere near our our top uh, 11 in the, the T20 format. There's guys like Jimmy Neesham who would have been, you know, I would pick Nisham. There'd be a hundred, you know, fifty cricketers between Nisham and and De Gronholm on that list, and and all of the the other big names that I think have caused a lot of conjecture around not being picked. So. Yeah. It's just a completely baffling situation. Uh, on that conjecture, I do want to come to Bordy, and I, we're not prepped for this, Bordy, so this is shoot from the hip time, which I know you enjoy. Um, <laughs> and the overseas draft for you know a, a franchise tournament that, look, has had some criticism um, about probably, I don't know what the word is, um, 
skinning lasting the golden about, sheep, or, lasting you know. about five months. Yeah, so, so they, they've kind of they've turned it into a bit of a cash cow, haven't they? They're playing too many games. Mm-hmm. There'd be an argument. Channel Seven, I think, have got the coverage. Is that right? And they're, they're arguing whether or not the quality's there. That's their argument. Yeah, yes. I don't think that's a legal argument. Yeah. Now I'm not sure what the latest on that is, but it's certainly been before. Uh, there's been litigation yeah. over the value of that contract. But let's your, just say that. Your thoughts, I guess, on the fact that there's players like Andre Russell, mm-hmm. Faf Duplessis, not going through the, you know, not being picked at the draft. Is that an indication as to where this tournament's now sitting on that franchise pecking order? You know, clearly the IPL's um, at the top of the tree. And then, you know, I think you've got a group of tournaments, haven't you? Uh, Caribbean Premier League, the 100, um, the Big Bash. Um, but, but then the it's emergence UAE. of, the, you know, the UAE leagues. So yeah, got where is the Big Bass sitting and, and how does this really uh, work for Cricket Australia, do you think? Really, really difficult question to answer. I mean, I'm having a look at it from the outside in and there are very few West Indian players. If you have a look at those list of drafted players now, I'm looking down and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing very few West Indian players in, in there at all other yeah, other than uh, Akil Hussain. Look... That has traditionally been where we've had some of the great, you know, import players in the in the BBL. Uh, Chris Jordan, uh, not Chris Jordan, Chris Gale, um, Darren Summer, exactly, yeah. Dwayne Bravo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've had, we've had, have we had Dre Russ yeah, for Dre the Russ, Melbourne yeah. Stars? Yeah, maybe yeah, something Melbourne like Melbourne that. Can, can I ask? Is is it? There isn't a, a financial aspect, and they've they've priced themselves out of getting a contract. Is I it? think I think look, I think it's possible. So the way that the draft worked was that there were twelve platinum players, and as I understand it, Faf and Andre uh, Dre Russ and Pollard were all in that platinum player mark. So if you were going to pick those players, you had to pick them in the first two rounds of the draft, and they would have had premium price tags attached to those players. I'm not sure if those premium price tags were prorated based on availability. So it may be that given that they have also chosen to play other leagues, it might be the UAE League or the South African League. I'm not sure that the one that overlapped. But it's the UAE. Because so, Trent Bolt's in the same boat. Yeah. So and he still got picked up. And so, and so he still got picked up. So an, an interesting outcome. So it might be that they priced themselves out of the market. I'm not sure. I would have liked to have seen an opportunity for those players to play where they did some kind of deal where they went, all right, we'll allow you to draft Andre Russell, knowing that you've got only four games out of him or five games or whatever. We will allow you, if you draft Dre Russ, you can't have your second pick in the draft, right? Because they had to pass once. They could only pick three times in the four rounds. So they go, okay, cool. You can draft Dre Russ in the first round. You miss out on your second pick, but we will give you a pick at the end where you can pick up an un undrafted player to to fill the other half of his games if you want to, right? So it doesn't preclude you from picking a premium platinum player in the draft if you know they're only going to play five games because those guys put bums on seats. They are all still contracted to um, top-tier Indian Premier League franchises. They are all still at the top of their game from a domestic cricket standpoint. I would have wanted to see them in the draft. This has raised some interest. You know, it's a format change to the big bash that has raised levels of interest generally and got people talking, which if you're Trent Woodhill, if you're the organisers of the big bash, that is your, that is your objective. Um, whether or not as it has resulted in the best possible players playing in the tournament, even if it's for a short period of time, I'm not sure. The outcome for CA is that they are now heavily up against it, against the UAE tournament in particular, but also to a lesser extent, the South African tournament where they are competing with big money tournaments and they're starting to lose out, which is a shame for what is Southern Hemisphere's at the moment should be our premier 
summer Christmas domestic T20 tournament. Let's move on and talk a little bit of New Zealand cricket. We've got a squad for the Aussie one dayers and also an A tour on the books as well. Anything that's caught our eye there, Raj or Stu? Or Baldy, of course. Uh, okay, let's talk about the A tour first. Sure. Uh, I guess, so they're, they're about to tour India. What are the dates of those? Uh, pretty soon they start. Yeah, it goes pretty much for the whole of September. They've got three, I think they've got three, four days, three, uh, three ODIs. Um, and yeah, pretty pretty good uh, Indian A side that they're going to be playing against. I mean, absolutely wrapped to just have the A program going and um, a great experience for the, those players that are going over there. Who, who are you looking forward to seeing the most out of that New Zealand A side? Uh, it's, well, I, I've probably got my own personal preferences on that front. And, um, I mean, spin is a, a big part of obviously where I look and, and Joe Walker is someone who, uh, you know, from ND had a really, I thought he had a really good domestic season. And I, I think I've touched on it before, but I think it, the fact that Ish is going down to Canterbury this year kind of opens the, the door for Joe Walker to be kind of the, the number one spinner at ND and, and really kind of establish himself and, and push his claim to, try and play international cricket. I mean, we've had many, many conversations about spin and New Zealand cricket and all of that kind of stuff. And even, you know, Ajaz's his role in, in that side. But, you know, he's going to get the opportunity to go over there and, and I guess play in favourable conditions, you would think, and, and see how he stacks up. But the interesting thing I found from the A, I, I guess the, the chat around the A side is that uh, Gavin Larson sort of talked about Quotes that I've seen have been around how the A program, what they want to do with it is it's not necessarily about picking the players that they think are going to play for New Zealand next. It's about picking the best the best available talent they think in New Zealand and then I guess trying to use that for for development. And I, I, I would imagine that's why we haven't seen George Worker, we don't see Hamish Rutherford on those lists because, you know... It's a development program. Well, it, it, it's interesting because... They say it's a development program, but there are not many young players in that squad. You see, you know, Ratchin is there. There's Matt Fisher, who's a very exciting young speedster from from ND. But a lot of the players that, you know, Tom Bruce, Robbie O'Donnell, uh, even Chad Bowes from Canterbury, they're all sort of mid to late 20s, early 30s in that kind of realm. And I, I suppose for a batter that you've still got a lot of time left and, and there's a lot of opportunity there. But, yeah, I, I think it'll be fascinating to, I guess, have this program underway again because... It was a really, I, I think it was a really significant part of, I guess, how we built the depth in New Zealand cricket and how we built players that have been able to come in and step in. There's actually Cleaver and and, um, and Cam Fletcher are both on this tour. There's there's some players that, that uh, were unavailable and stuff. But yeah, I think it's a, a really significant thing. And the Australian, uh, it sounds like that the same A-side, well, probably not the exact same players, but there's going to be some A-side playing against some Australian opposition later on in the New Zealand summer. So... Yeah, great to have it back up and running. I'm, quick, I'm looking. Sorry, I'm just looking forward to Ruchin Ravindra. I, I, I'm a massive fan of him because I think that he holds the key to fixing a lot of our balance problems, especially in our red ball side. Uh, to see him actually score some runs opening the batting mm. uh, and then having the ability to bowl spin if, if, if required, uh, I think he's a key for our test side going forward. So I'm going to be keeping my eye on him. Quick question, probably for for you boys again. This tour is a mix of red and and white ball. Do you see that they've had to kind of hedge the bets a little bit in terms of picking, you know, fourteen or fifteen players that can fulfil a role in both red and white ball? Are, are there any people that you would have liked to have seen maybe have a look at that might be one format players? Uh, I, I actually don't think so. I, I think they've kind of yeah picked. Pick, 
a number of the players that I I would have expected to go on this tour, especially when you think about um, the fact that we've you know we're about to have a T Twenty World Cup, so we kind of got to keep all of the the fringe players, you know, the the likes of a, a Will Young, Henry Nichols, all, all those kind of players that are in and around the side. I mean, Ben Sears is someone who. We've talked about, I've, I keep talking about him a lot, but he's someone that I, I think, you know, he's in this ODI squad. He's probably someone they're thinking about whether he can kind of sneak into this T20 World Cup squad if Adam Milne isn't fit. It would have been kind of nice to see him go and actually get some cricket because he's probably not going to get cricket in, in those other formats. But yeah, look, I, 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 the interesting name that actually popped up um, in Gavin Larson's comments was actually Ben Lister who's a left armer from Auckland, actually one of the younger players in the squad, even though I think he's 26 or something. But, you know, he they obviously, you know, Trent Bolt has just retired from, well, hadn't, sorry, he hasn't retired. He's stepped down from his contract. I, I think it's unlikely maybe that we'll see him in test cricket again. I think he'll still kind of go on in, in uh, white ball cricket. But, yeah, I, I would kind of be surprised. We've got uh, Neil Wagner, who... You know, as much as we would love him to just keep playing forever, I think that you know, at some point he's going to to step down as well. And there's not there's not that many left arm bowlers going around. So Ben List is obviously someone they've they've got in the mix. Going to India, I imagine it's not it's not going to be easy work for him over there. But um, yeah, be keen keen to see how he gets on. And you mentioned uh, Trent Bolt and uh, a couple of. That. Other members who have or have not made the New Zealand squad for the Australian ODIs coming up next week. What are your takeaways from the the squad named? I think the b- biggest takeaway really is that uh, that Ish, Ish isn't in that side. Um, yeah, you know, I, I mean I'm moderately surprised to to not see him in the the fifteen for the for the ODIs. I, I think apart from that, we've kind of seen the the same sort of strength of the side that was in the West Indies. They've maintained that the, the throughout this the series against Australia. I do think we'll there there are a lot of kind of questions to be answered there about when when I look at that squad, I don't actually apart from Sears, who I think is over there to kind of learn and um I, I would love to see him get a crack, but uh, you know, on, on Aussie wickets against some of those some of those batters. But I think the other fourteen names, you could Put, you could almost name any eleven of those players, and I would go, okay, I can see why you've you've kind of done that because it, it yeah, there's it's it's tricky to try and figure out the balance. It, sort of, no matter where you go, it feels like you're you're missing. Maybe you know you've either got one too many batters or you've got one too many bowlers or yeah, it's, you, it's, you can definitely pick a horses for courses kind of lineup yeah. here. And I guess the top four is kind of sorted the way I see it. You've got Guppy, Finnellan. Kane Williamson and Devin Conway there at four. But then there's just a massive logjam there for that five and six. You've got Latham, who's the only keeper named on tour, if you don't count Devin Conway. Yep. Uh, you've got Bracewell, Nisham and Phillips to fill up those, those those two spots. Who would you be picking? I know it's a horses for courses approach, but what do you reckon is our number one? Well, as much as I would love to see him actually get three digs against the Aussies. I actually think there's another option where Conway opens and Finn Allen doesn't play, and then you've got, yeah, then it gives you kind of three of those, you know, Nisham, Nisham uh, Bracewell, and and Phillips, and and Mitchell, obviously, as well, is in that mix. So And Latham's got to play if he's going to keep wicket. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it gives you... The, uh, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I... I 
would be picking Nishim in every single in every single white ball format. I, I think he, you know, Mitchell and Nishim are probably the the two names that I just go, okay, like basically they've shown to me that they perform at the big moments when we've when we've needed them, they've performed, and they kind of if if we're going to be looking at who can kind of the the roles I suppose that you want in a in a white ball game, those are we talked about Mitchell last week, didn't we? That he can kind of play. A number of different roles, and and that's where I think his him at five or four or wherever you're going to go is really really important. And Nishim is just he, I, I I like I said I'm stunned that he isn't in the BBL. Maybe maybe there's an op- I don't really know how that BBL draft works. Maybe there's an opportunity that he still gets picked up by one of those franchises. It feels silly if if that's not the case that they can't be picked up afterwards. But yeah, I, I really think he's. It stuns me that he hasn't really had a proper go at the IPL. I know he's been in the IPL and teams a number and number of times, but yeah, I would I would be having him right up the top of the charts. Good to go. Well, boys, that does just about wrap up this episode of the Top Order podcast. A quick plug to listeners: you can also become viewers as well. Now, some of our episodes making it on to the YouTube platform. We've been recording some video uh, podcasts. One of the most recent ones you'll see on there um, is with Jamie Barker, uh, sports psychologist. We've also got a little bit of a back catalogue there as well, a chat with Mike Hussey as a video podcast and more of that uh, to come. So do let us know if you enjoy the video content. We're not asking you to critique our faces, but just (laughs) whether or not it's a medium you'd like to see a little bit more of on the Top Order podcast. Um, The benefit being, of course, you can uh, stream it via your uh, work laptop um, whilst you're sitting there um, on a spreadsheet in your other tab um, on YouTube. But if you do have any comments as to who you might want to see, interviews, news, views and cricketing tidbits from all around the world, do drop us a note on the socials or at the Top Order podcast at gmail.com. But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. We'll see you very, very soon on the Top Order podcast. Good night.